This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealou, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. So it's a big week for a lot of college prospects, whether it's the East-West Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl. It's also a big week for the coaches, their opportunity to gain some valuable insights on the players, but valuable experience as well. And I say that as I look across and see KVB, former player, now looking to move up in the ranks on the high school coaching scene as well. Any experience is good experience, dare I say. That's true. Uh, the other part you said is not true. I just every day I show up and try not to get fired, and so far I've been successful at that. So, um, but yeah, it's a it is a great experience. I mean, you get an opportunity to work with a new group of young players. Um, you get to see how they function in a certain type of offense, and um, you know, for these coaches that are coaching in this games, it's to me, you know, football. One of the underrated aspects is these personal relationships, getting to know some of these young men, what makes them tick, how they prepare, what what motivates them. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that uh, being in meeting rooms, being on the practice field in a close one-on-one type situation with these players gives you such valuable insight, particularly on your day two, day three draft picks. Um, You get an opportunity to really pick their brains, see what makes them go, understand, um, you know, how they're going to function in your locker room and how well they'll fit in. So I think it is a great opportunity. But um, yeah, to your point, um, it's 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 valuable experience for these coaches as well, being in a unique environment, trying to piece together talent from all over the country and, and see how they operate. Cardinals have six coaches, two at the East-West Shrine Bowl, four at the Senior Bowl. And Paul, we've had the opportunity this past season on Fridays to speak to all of these assistant coaches. And you can kind of tell some of these i.e. maybe a Drew Terrell, who's the OC at the East-West Shrine Bowl, Israel Wolfwork, the quarterback's coach at the Senior Bowl, that you could see them rise in the ranks and maybe that next step be an OC for a team, dare I say, a head coach down the road. You know what they need to do, though, right now, right here, front burner, is uh, try and pump up Bo Nix. That's what they need to do, okay? The Cardinals need Bo Nix to climb all the way to four like Anthony Richardson did a year ago because if quarterbacks are going one, two, three, if they can get that fourth quarterback to come up the board. So, yes, it's going to be very valuable maybe in the coaching career of Drew Terrell and Israel Wolfork, but between now and draft day, you need someone like a Bo Nix to come up, and then the Cardinals can cash that in come draft weekend. Why not Michael Penix? Sure, does you know we don't you just, don't care. We don't discriminate okay. between any quarterbacks who want to rise up the board, <laughs> make that ridiculous leap up. Whether it's a Trey Lance, whether it's a Zach Wilson, most recently Anthony Richardson. Trey Lance goes number three out of nowhere and and, and garners three first round picks in return. That would be a best case scenario for the Cardinals. The East West Shrine Bowl is Thursday. The Senior Bowl is Saturday. So pay attention to the quarterback position, as Paul likes to say, to mm-hmm. get some interest with that number four overall pick that the Cardinals own but on that East West Shrine Bowl 
Drew Terrell, the OC, his first opportunity to maybe call some plays and be a part of some position groups that he typically has not been a part of in the past. Here he is on Tuesday talking about his coaching experience. It's been good. Um, you know, it's a great experience not only, you know, for, for the players that are, that are chosen to be in this game, but for us as coaches. Um, I, I think it's a good chance for us to kind of step out of our comfort zone and do some things that we normally haven't done before. As, you know, you guys know, anytime you're looking to grow and elevate, in whatever profession you're in, you've got you've to do things that you wouldn't normally do and, and kind of step out of that comfort zone. So it's been awesome. Uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have been nominated for this and have this experience. I think it's great. Terrell went on to say, Kyle, that he's found himself in the O-line room working with quarterbacks, and he, as his own word said, he's been more of a perimeter guy, i.e. wide receiver. And you've got that defensive background, but you've got experience now on special teams, and it is out of your comfort zone learning a different position group. Yeah, it's so big in, in the growth and development of, of coaching, and I love that's how um, Coach Terrell is viewing this as an experience for himself, not just to evaluate players and not just – um, focusing on the team for next year, but for his own personal growth to understand um, all aspects of the offensive side of the ball, to be able to work with every single position group. Um, you know, I've I've talked to uh, some of my coaches postseason, and you know, coaches a, a large number of coaches around the league turned down this opportunity. Their season is over; they need a break. They want to start breaking down film. They want to start um, figuring out what to do for next season, and and they, to a large degree see this opportunity as a waste of time, but for this coaching staff, for this number of coaches to be involved in these all-star games, to see it as an opportunity not just to possibly get some valuable insight to some of these players, but also as an opportunity to grow and learn and develop um, you know, some of the weaknesses of their own coaching game. Um, I, I just love that type of attitude. How about this, Paul? As you're working with different coaches around the league, you pick their brain. Maybe within your own division, within your own conference, the other conference. Now all of a sudden you get an idea, you bring it back here to Tempe, go to Jonathan Gannon and go, hey, what about this? What do you think about that? And you got to remember, like Drew Terrell spent all those years with Jim Harbaugh. So he has that background. And you just sort of continue to grow and add to your skill set and your knowledge base. And dare I say, you even lean on some of your college quarterbacks in the room. What did you guys run at Oregon? What did you guys run at some of these other programs? Coaches will tell you that a lot of what you see in high school trickles up to the college game. And then obviously over the years, the college game has infiltrated the NFL. And that's sort of where the NFL really grows is from the ground up in these schemes. So you get these uh, college guys in there with the NFL coaches and all of a sudden, okay, you're able to sort of formulate some new looks, and uh, and then all of a sudden he comes back and he sits down with Drew Petzing, and there's different things that maybe you have in mind that you can incorporate into the Cardinals' offense this year. And I think that's really advantageous all the way around as you come back with some new concepts and ideas as a Cardinals coach that you could then bring to some of the decision makers under Jonathan Gannon. And, and to your point, Craig, I remember walking through the lobby when I was in Mobile and I was playing in the, in the Senior Bowl, and it wasn't necessarily a lot of players talking to coaches. There's over 900 NFL personnel in Mobile, Alabama this week watching practice, but it's, it's networking. It's talking to coaches around the league, forming relationships, and you know, possibly working toward your next promotion, uh, talking to a coach that might give you an opportunity down the road. And there's also still a number of 
vacancies, not just head coach, not just coordinator positions, but a lot of vacancies throughout this league, and a lot of that interview process is happening in Mobile, Alabama this week. The goal of all coaches, it should be the goal, is to be a head coach. There's only 32 of these in the NFL. The Cardinals have their guy, and Jonathan Gannon, his first season, no, the one-loss record was not great, but the foundation has been built, something that was discussed Late last week on the Big Red Rage, Kerry Rhodes, former Arizona Cardinals player and, dare I say, a former teammate of Gannon at Louisville. What Kerry Rhodes saw from afar in year one of Gannon. You come into a situation where you want to do something a certain way and you don't have all those guys that fit in to make that thing happen. How flexible are you going to be and how much of a person – you can be as far as being able to mold and change your scheme and your thought process to the team that you currently have. And I think that was the special thing that he did this year in year one, because yes, culture is important, but everybody's not going to buy into your culture. You have to prove that over and over. And you have to prove to men that you're able to be flexible with them as well. And so there's a fine line there, but the good ones are able to do it really well. The one thing we did hear from Gannon Paul, and this goes for every other coach, the door is always open for a player to walk upstairs, have a question, and what we've heard from players these days or this generation, they want to know why. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to be explained what to do and figure out what their purpose is within the role that they're being asked to perform. And they want to be uh, asked for some advice and some input. And, well, look, at least uh, you're part of the process, so to speak. Now, Gannon makes it very clear that he's the ultimate decision maker. But, you know, Dave Canales was just hired by the Panthers, and he told a story about when he was a young guy up in Seattle with Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll would tell all the assistants, I don't care how it's done. I don't care if you run it 50 times. I don't care if you pass it 50 times. It's about points on offense. Just give me points on that scoreboard. Pete Carroll, with his defensive background, would tell his offensive guys he'd empower them. And so Jonathan Gannon, I think, did a lot of that with Drew Petzing. I'm not necessarily here to be look over your shoulder on game day and, and give you input in terms of play calls. You know, we're going to go out there. We're going to be what we need to be to beat the opponent that week. And that's really the state of the NFL right now. And I think that's what Kerry Rhodes was getting at. We talked to Kerry last offseason as a former teammate of Jonathan Gannon right after he was hired by the Cardinals. And that was the vibe you get, that he's going to empower all the assistants He's going to have ultimate say. But now, at this point, after going through an entire year and knowing your roster and what you have and what you need and where your strengths exist, you know, you talk about that ability to take a leap in the second year of a program. At least now you have the knowledge. When you go out there and you formulate your roster here in year two of the Jonathan Gannon, Monty Austin Ford era, and a lot of it's based on what you can only find out during the course of a regular season. You don't know what you have until games are played and you get real reps. Being adaptable, depending on what your roster is at that particular moment, maybe you don't quite have everyone that you want in the building or there's an injury or two and all of a sudden, okay, what's it going to take for us to get the win this week, whether that's on offense or defense. One more from Kerry Rhodes on that subject of being adaptable when looking at the offense under Kyler Murray. Their strength last year was running the ball, and it made life easier for Kyler to kind of ease back into it. And then once he eased back into football and, and getting into football shape and seeing defenses and schemes again, then you can unleash the Kyler that we know. But I think it's that ability, to, again, to, to mold to what your team is doing best and I think we saw that with the Cardinals, and I think with Kyler, 
him being healthy and being able to show what he can do again down the stretch there was vital because JG knows. I saw a press conference where he said, Kyler's our quarterback. And just that reassurance for Kyler and the team and the other players around, it just makes life easier for them. A small sample size, just eight games for Kyler. But I don't think within this offense, Kyle, he's going to be asked to do it all. He doesn't have to do it all. He's got 10 other guys on the field. He's got players that want to be on the field that can help him. Yeah, the quarterback, his success, yeah, is you're going to win or lose based off your quarterback play. But you don't have to have the quarterback be the hero each and every week. Yeah, and I I think Kyler got a good feel for that, particularly late in the season when this team ran for – 200-plus three of the last four games, I think the game becomes much easier for a quarterback. Your looks become easier. Your reads become easier. You get the defense a little bit on their heels when you can lean on that run game. And, um, you know, with throughout these playoffs, I, I keep looking for examples of, of how this affects the Cardinals. What what can this mean for the Cardinals? And you look at this, the you know, this current – um, you know, version of a dynasty in the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, it's not all Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that first drive uh, on on Sunday, uh, the offense looked great. Patrick Mahomes was dealing, and he was, um, you know, working the ball down the field. And the rest of the game, he leaned on their defense. This Kansas City Chiefs team is way different than it was in the past, that possibly the strength of this team is their defense, and it's not the offense. And, and to, for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, who's being considered in the greatest of all time type conversations to know and understand what his team looks like, what this team's strengths are, and that it doesn't always have to be all him. He doesn't have to force throws. He can, They can punt the ball away and lean on the strength of their defense, and that's a, a great message for this Cardinals team. I mean, and, and again, the adaptability. You've got one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who are playing in the Super Bowl, but this team looks completely different than it has looked in the past, and they are adaptable a lot like this Cardinals team is. You talk about takeaways from those championship games, the NFC Championship, that first half. I think we're all watching that going, wow, look at the Lions offensive line dominating that Niners defensive front, the strength of that team. If you want to dethrone the 49ers in the NFC West, that's how you do it. You build the offensive line. That's why you went on and got Paris Johnson Jr. That's why I'm convinced they're going O-line again in the first round with one of those two picks. Great segue here, Paul, because as we continue here on this Tuesday edition, the final Tuesday in the month of January, it is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. We'll talk about the offensive line, where improvement needs to be made, where some holes need to be filled. I do think they're pretty much set, perhaps, on the right side, unless there's a change at the tackle position. We'll get to that next here. Craig Rayaloo, Paul Calvisi, and Kyle Vandenbosch here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. With the sixth pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Paris Johnson Jr., Ohio State. High, high football character. Highly intelligent, well-spoken, mature, dependable. And you can tell that he's made of the right things, the things that we want not only our offensive linemen to be made of, but, but our entire team. 17 starts, did not miss an offensive snap, also played special teams as well. Harris Johnson Jr., the Cardinals' first-round draft pick, the first draft pick in Monty Austin Ford's era as general manager, as you heard him talk about his right tackle, 
maybe now future left tackle? Well, we'll get into that. As we say, welcome back. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Craig Rialoup, Paul Calvisi, and Kyle Vandenbosch examining first and foremost, Kyle, and that is Paris Johnson Jr. as just a tackle in this league. And I know Paul has the list, so I'll let him rattle it off a little bit later on. But just the experience Paris got on that side as a tackle going up against the NFC West, NFC, AFC, and the defenders that he faced in year one, and I think held his own at least according to the eye test. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. He was dependable. Um, he went out there and performed. He's the type of player that looks forward to the tough matchups. And he went out there and, you know, some games really excelled. And, you know, again, the biggest credit to an offensive tackle is when you don't talk about him throughout the course of a ball game. And I can't remember uh, many times where, you know, you hear on the radio broadcast or, or the, you watch the TV copy when they say, well, Paris really struggled here, Paris got beat here, because it, it didn't happen often. And if it did, it was, you know, a one off or maybe a couple times a game. Um, you know, it, it, we knew coming out the physical tools he had, the long arms, the athletic ability, the balance. Um, to me, I was mostly impressed with how he held up in this run game. I think he's he's more physical than people give him credit for. Um, he's able to engulf defensive ends, edge, edge rushers at times in the run game. So, um, it, you know, it's it, – and again, you know, you hear that description uh, from Monty Austin for um, – and he just talks about dependable, and you just mentioned it, for a rookie to come in and play every single snap – it's it's impressive for any player, any offensive lineman to play every single snap, but it's, it shows you that, that there's hidden value there because we all look back to the 2022 season when our offensive line looked different every week and we couldn't keep offensive linemen healthy and there was just so many missed games, so many missed starts by this offensive line. It was so difficult to have continuity and to build your offense from one week to the next. It was kind of a mash unit and you're just plugging guys in um, off the street and putting them in the lineup. And we didn't have to do that this year to a large degree because you've got a rookie that went out there and was dependable and played every single snap. And he didn't hit the rookie wall either. Nope. He was adamant about that in December and January. Rookie wall? I ain't hit no stinking rookie, rookie wall around here. So, I mean, think about that. Think about, okay, now he has an off season to really, you know, get in shape and everything. And, and you know, where does he need to work? And just the mentality. I, I saw everything I needed to see late in that Steelers game. Cardinals went into Pittsburgh and got the win, and he went against T.J. Watt almost the entirety of that game. And by the end of the game, T.J. Watt was really frustrated. And in fact, almost came to blows. You saw that little tussle they had there at the very end of the game, rooting and a tooting, walping and a stomping. That's because Paris Johnson Jr. tried to take T.J. Watt out of bounds, tried to finish him out of bounds. T.J. Watt's like, no, that ain't happening, went to the ground and then came up swinging. So that's the sort of mentality. And then to hear Paris Johnson Jr. say at the end of the season that he was having Cardinals defensive players emulate the pass rusher he was going against that week. Okay, look, the guy I'm going against this week excels with this move. I want you to emulate that for me all week in practice. And so he just sort of had a next-level sort of preparation and mentality and approach to the game that I think bodes really well. And now whether he's going to move to left tackle, but to hear him say, and I asked him this towards the end of the season, if you had to play left tackle, what sort of challenge would that be at this point in the season play the whole year at right tackle? said, give me one practice. That's all I need. One practice, I'll get the footwork down. By the way, I teased it. Do you want to give the list of edge rushers, defenders that Paris Johnson Jr. faced here in year one? Because it does read as a who's who, and dare I say, a Hall of Fame 
future Hall of Fame list. Well, if you're asking, Craig, here we go. Aaron Donald twice, Nick Bosa twice, Montez Sweat twice, two different teams, T.J. Watt, who led the NFL with 19 sacks. Remember, he went against Trey Hendrickson, who was number two in sacks, with 17.5 in that Bengals game. Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, who had 14 apiece. The Ravens' Justin Madubuike, who had 13. Jonathan Greener to Houston, 12.5. Kayvon Thibodeau of the Giants, 11.5. Hassan Reddick, 11.5. I didn't have even have room on Twitter for Will Anderson Jr. and a couple a couple other notables as well. Very impressive. Now the question is, going into next season, does Paris stay on the right side or does he move to the left side? I think this was going to be a conversation that we had regardless of the injury to DJ Humphreys, but now not knowing the future of Humphreys as far as coming off an ACL injury, and I don't believe he's had that surgery as we speak here on this Tuesday. But the question was asked to Paris the day after the season, left tackle or right tackle? I just want to be a part of the best five, and where I'm at on the line is dependent on um, on them. But definitely this offseason, I'm going to continue to train both sides just to be ready. You know, So when my number's called, if it's called to go to the left, I can be able to step right in. So I'm definitely going to um, take this offseason to work on both sides. Does it matter, Kyle? Like you've played defense and you've played the game, and we always hear, oh, you got to protect the quarterback's blind side so the left tackle is more important for a right-handed quarterback. But given the names that Paul just mentioned, so they're rotating on either side, left or right, defenders are coming at you, so you need a good left tackle and you need a good right tackle. Yeah, I'm not sure that it does. It's not – again, I feel like when I played, it was different. It was always the, um, you know, left tackle against the right end, and that's where you put your best pass rusher, and that's where you put your best pass protector, and it was always a, a, a matchup there, um, and it's not like that anymore. They When a defensive coordinator has an elite pass rusher, he will move him all over the line to take advantage of matchups. Um, he will move him inside to rush a guard. They'll move from the left side to the right side. Um, but I do love, I love, again, you know, the character of Paris Johnson Jr. You know, and I remember even prior to the season when we weren't sure where he was going to fit because he had experience at guard. He had experience at both tackle spots. And he even said that, you know, if they want me to play center, I'll try it. Um, you love that as a player to, you know, and, and this is, again, the, the culture that starts at the top trickles down to the bottom. A willingness, even though it may affect your performance, even though it may affect your future bank account by moving to a position that isn't necessarily a premier position, um, but it will help this team win ball games. Players are willing to do that, and, and you love to hear those types of things. I think it also depends on where you go in the draft, if you go in the draft for a tackle. Now, what's interesting is earlier today, Daniel Jeremiah put out his top 50 prospects, just his top 50 rated players. There are seven offensive tackles in his top 18. This is a loaded draft at tackle. So if you get the top rated tackle, let's just say Joe Walt, who just spent three years starting a left tackle for Notre Dame, 6'8", 315. His dad was a Pro Bowl tackle for the Chiefs back in the day. So let's just say Joe Walt has his name called by the Cardinals. Well, maybe you leave him at left tackle and Paris Johnson stays at right tackle and you got your tackle combination for the next umpteen years. And those are the first two guys off the bus. Six foot eight, Joe Walt, six foot seven, Paris Johnson Jr. But 
if you get a tackle maybe with your second first-round pick and it's the U of A kid who's more of a right tackle or the Oregon State kid who's a right tackle, then all of a sudden Paris Johnson Jr. goes the left tackle. So I think it's to be determined in a lot of ways. Line of scrimmage certainly important, specifically the offensive line. Jonathan Gannon, we'll go back one year ago. This is after all the college all-star games, but ahead of the draft, Following the combine, here is what Gannon was talking about when he was looking what he wants in an offensive lineman. We have a, a skill set that we're looking for from all you know the inside guys and the outside guys. And uh, I know this, we want high football character guys that love to play football and, they, and they're going to be tough guys. And um, we want guys that finish people, uh, move people, and the, probably the number one job, as I learned, better keep that quarterback upright. Finish people, move people. I look at Will Hernandez, who does exactly that. Yellow to Froholt, who I think was a pleasant surprise at the center position, who is under contract for next season, had four starts at center coming into this year, and like Paris Johnson Jr., started all 17 games. Question is, now you got to ramp up that depth, Kyle, is figure out what you have at tackle, what you have inside. The left guard position was kind of a revolving door. You do have Kelvin Beecham under contract next season. And again, the question mark with D.J. Humphreys would not surprise me if the Cardinals looked offensive line, whether with that fourth overall pick or number 27. Yeah, I just love the philosophy of Jonathan Gannon in this front office. I, I, I'm a strong believer you build a team from the inside out. You've got to be good in the trenches on both sides of the ball. You can make up for deficiencies in other areas with a really good physical offensive line, defensive line. Um, you know, one characteristic that this offensive line had that wasn't mentioned right there, and I've talked about this before, is, uh, you know, late in the season when this run game was really going, um, the ability to run multiple schemes, whether it be zone scheme, zap, gap scheme, but – uh, you know, Will Hernandez, we all know how physical he is. Uh, Yelda Froholt, as Paulie said, we all know how physical he is. We can see him putting players on their back, finishing them, you know, doing exactly what Jonathan Gannon asked. But their ability to pull this offense, every single, you know, I think in our last four or five games, every single lineman pulled across the center at some point. Even Yelda Froholt was able to snap the ball and pull and lead out in space several times throughout the course of a ball game. And that's not just toughness. That's not just doing things in the line of scrimmage. That's incredible athleticism for guys who are, you know, 300, 320 plus to get in the open field and block a, you know, overhang linebacker or block a corner that's trying to fill or a safety that's coming up into the box. Um, you know, these offensive linemen are asked to do a lot. It wasn't one run scheme. It wasn't just pass pro. It was, um, you know, to, you know, move guys on double teams and be able to pull and block real athletes, the world's most elite athletes in open space. And for some of these guys to do that, multiple times throughout the course of a ball game was extremely impressive. Cardinals rushed for 2,365 yards, fourth most in the league. But, Paulie, you look at the franchise records as far as rushing yards in a season, fourth most in franchise history, but you have to go back to the 70s, the 60s, to find a Cardinals team that ran for 2,300-plus yards in a season. And then look at what they did at the end of the season, right? 221 rushing yards at Philadelphia, 206 rushing yards against Seattle. With Kyler Murray, the Cardinals led the NFL with 5.27 yards per carry. And they were number two in rushing yards per game with Kyler Murray. So when a defense has to account for an athletic quarterback, it opens up other opportunities that's how you end up number one in the NFL in 20-plus yard runs, the explosive runs. So once again, if you're going against 
a 49ers team. You're going against a Rams team. And this, to me, is job number one in the offseason. Effective next season. you got to be more competitive against those two dominant teams in your division. At least they're dominant in those head-to-head matchups. And this is the way you go about it to me. You go right at them. And you dominate the ball, and you keep it away from Brock Purdy and all those weapons. You keep it away from Matthew Stafford and that Sean McVay offense. And that's, I think, where this Cardinals offense is going to continue to evolve, and they're going to invest in this offensive line. To that point, sometimes your best defense, depending on the matchup that particular week, is your offense because you sustain drives, time of possession, and you keep a... Matthew Stafford on the sideline, a Geno Smith on the sideline, where they can't do anything because they're watching the Cardinals move the ball up and down the field. Join the Arizona Cardinals season ticket priority list today. 2024 home opponents include the Bears, Chargers, Patriots, Jets, Lions, Commanders, and, of course, the NFC West. For more information, go to azcardinals.com forward slash priority list. That's azcardinals.com forward slash priority list. As we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. The second half will focus on Championship Sunday. Our thoughts on the NFC and AFC title games and Super Bowl 58 in under two weeks. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Purdy is under center. He takes the snap. He backpedals a step. Zeroes on the clock. It's over. The sidelines empty. With the comeback for the ages, the 49ers are going back to the Super Bowl and ripping the heart out of the Lions. San Francisco overcomes a 17-point halftime deficit to beat Detroit 34-31. And for the eighth time, the 49ers will play for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Tied for the third largest comeback in a conference championship game. It was 24-7 at halftime. Then the 49ers outscored the Lions 17-0 in the third quarter alone. Win the game 34-31. And I'm not going to lie, Kyle. Yes, I was on the Lions bandwagon. I'm tired of the 49ers. They're in the NFC West. I don't like to see our division rivals do well. And the 49ers, once again, as you heard Kevin Harlan on Westwood 1, an eighth NFC championship and another opportunity at a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I, like most people, thought with the Lions up 17 and a half, I thought, I thought the game was in the bag. I thought they, you know, I, they were moving the ball with ease on offense. Um, again, to our, uh, I think it was Paulie and Boltier, earlier point, like the Lions' ability to run the ball against that San Fran defense, uh, particularly in the first half, um, with the Lions' offensive line and really – Looking back, the Cardinals were the first team to show um, that they could run the ball against that defense, to move the ball at will on the ground. Um, And, you know, I was just so shocked. And it was almost like once that snowball got rolling down the hill, it became difficult for the Lions to stop. And I know just, you know, on the outside, there's a lot of criticism of Dan Campbell, his aggressiveness, him, him going forward on fourth down instead of kicking field goals that would have been crucial points at the time and in very makeable uh, field goal type situations but uh, you know you look from the outside in and going into this game what's the strength of the Lions it's their offense it's their offensive line in particular and the weakness of the Detroit Lions was their past defense so you got to think that um, Dan Campbell w- was being ultra aggressive which he had been all season but 
Um, knowing that the Niners had the ability to strike a comeback with all of their weapons that they have and and how poorly the Lions' defense had played against the pass all season. So I, I don't fault him for those decisions. Um, it's just unfortunate for the Lions that it didn't work out for them. And, you know, it's in, in retrospect, um, you know, it's tough to justify them. Execute the play. Don't exactly. drop the pass. Yep. Don't fumble the ball. I mean, at some point, the players have to take responsibility and protect the head coach. I mean, I think it's 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 you're you're overlooking what the 49ers were able to do, but you're coming down to two fourth and short decisions in the second half, and maybe it's just who did Dan Campbell have more confidence in at that moment, his quarterback or his kicker? So there was a story in the Wall Street Journal, and they went to the two analytic models that are most popular. And so on that initial fourth and two from the Niners, 28, the Josh Reynolds drop, the win probability, if you convert that, is 85% at that point, because remember, you had a big lead at that stage. The win probability, if you kick the field goal, is 82%. See, to me, I'd figure there'd be a much bigger spread in the win probability from converting to kicking and then when you go to the second one when they were down three fourth and three from the Niners 30 the win probability of converting at that point is only 28 percent the win probability of kicking it 26 percent so to me the risk reward in an NFC championship game of the ability to tie the game with a field goal at the very end not to mention if you turn it over on downs it's a huge momentum swing that analytics never accounts for you're turning over the ball so there was a reason why the three words that were trending on Twitter, though all Sunday evening, take the points. That's why. Because of everything involved. So, look, I'm all about being aggressive. I realize analytics are here to stay. But in that situation with what was on the line and what was at stake, and once again, the win probability difference to me didn't mandate going for it. Even a couple of days after that game, Dan Campbell, quote, I don't regret those decisions. I understand the scrutiny. That's part of the gig. Just didn't work out. What did work out was what the 49ers did in that second half, flipping the script. Brock Purdy in the second half alone, 13 of 16 for 174 yards and a touchdown. Did Kyle what he did late in the game against the Packers. He delivered in a big moment in a big-time game, and here he is in year two going to his first-ever Super Bowl. Yeah, I think his biggest asset, you know, everybody wants to pick apart his game. It, it's his decision-making. He makes quick decisions. Teams uh, throughout the season tried to blitz him. You know, still a young, inexperienced type quarterback. Every time teams brought pressure, he, he knew exactly where to go with the ball, got rid of it quickly. Um, to me, you know, the difference in this game um, and, and, you know, again, this, this is a sign of, you know, the value of Kyler Murray. It was his two scrambles for 21 yards in the second half that extended drives that, you know, it's, he's, you don't, you know, pick him out of, he, he's not even in the top half of starting quarterbacks in this league with his running ability, his mobility, but when the moment called for him to do it, he knew exactly what to do. He recognized this is man coverage. Everybody on defense has their back turned to me. I have an opportunity to pick up some yardage and, and keep the clock moving, move the chains, advance the ball down the field. Um, you know, that's that's to me where he's next level. It's his, his intelligence, his quick decision making, and his poise under pressure. And, um, you know, I, even, even if they win this Super Bowl, I'm sure, t uh, you know, the media around the country is going to find ways to pick apart his game. But all he does is go out there and lead his team to victories. And, and you know, again, like to your point, his ability to continue to rally his team when they're down in, in, in crucial situations in the playoffs, 
Um, it shows his value as a quarterback. Yeah, remember the game-winning drive against Green Bay? Niners have been 0-31, went down five points entering the fourth quarter, so he navigated through that. Had, obviously had the huge second half after you're down 17. But to Kyle's point, not only did he rally his team, but you see a 49ers team that's rallying around him. After the game, Christian McCaffrey saying, you know what? All he's done since he's been here is play at an elite level. Everything starts with him. We're lucky he's our quarterback. He takes a lot of heat for absolutely no reason. End quote. Trent Williams has come to the defense of Brock Purdy. You've heard Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. So this team rallies around him because so many people call him a game manager, and they wonder, is he just a byproduct of all those weapons and all those pro bowlers on the Niners' offensive side of the ball? But Brock Purdy showed that he was the catalyst, and I love the way he went Patrick Mahomes with those two runs in crucial situations to keep the defense on it. It's something I thought Lamar Jackson should have done a lot more of in the AFC Championship game. Purdy's a seventh-round pick versus a first-round pick. If he's a first-round selection, we're not having this game manager discussion, and it's reminiscent of Tom Brady, a sixth-round pick. Those first three Super Bowls, he had a great defense, and he didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot, and he matured, and what did we talk about? All a quarterback is judged by, what's your one-loss record, how many Super Bowl appearances, how many Super Bowl wins do you have? Hard to beat the seven that Tom Brady has, and we'll get into Patrick Mahomes here in our next segment, but... You don't need to do a whole heck of a lot. My only question is, if Brock Purdy wins the Super Bowl, is he going to get his own place? Because right now, he still has a roommate on a seventh-rounder's contract. So with all the bonuses and everything else he's going to get from endorsements, if he wins the Super Bowl, even in the ultra-expensive Bay Area and the Silicon Valley, I think he'll be able to afford his own place. Still can't extend him because you can't do that until after year three, I believe, and you know, get a two years in and who's to say year one if he didn't get hurt against the Eagles in that title game that the 49ers wouldn't be playing the Chiefs for a second straight year so if the key play by the way was the 51 yarder to Brandon Ayuk that bounced off the Detroit DB's face mask and then Ayuk after the game saying that a ladybug landed on my shoe so who would have thought that would have been the key to the game I don't know if that was a prop bet in Vegas but I guess it should have been we're looking for ladybugs in Las Vegas, looking for Taylor Swift in Las Vegas. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. yeah, I had to go there. Oh, no. We'll talk about the Chiefs heading once again as they knocked off the Ravens, and all of a sudden the Kansas City Chiefs road warriors here in the AFC playoffs. We'll get into that next here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. takes a knee and that is it the Kansas City Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl for the fourth time in the last five years Viva Las Vegas for KC they've done it again they win the AFC Championship 17 to 10 over the Ravens and end Baltimore's season here at M&T Bank Stadium Final call of the AFC Championship game, Ian Eagle on Westwood 1. A surprise? Maybe we shouldn't be surprised, considering, again, as Ian Eagle just mentioned, fourth trip to the Super Bowl in five years. Chiefs 3-0 in the postseason. Two wins on the road, and they go into the number one seed, the Baltimore Ravens, and they win. And not only did they win, I mean, I think the score, Paul, was a little bit closer than maybe if you watched it. That was that was a one-sided contest for much of that game until late in the fourth quarter because the Chiefs could do no wrong offensively or defensively. 
I mean, you had a Baltimore team that had three turnovers. They had nine flags, five personal fouls, so the players were error-prone. I thought the coaches were error-prone. Todd Monken, you had eight runs by Lamar Jackson, and half of those were scrambles. And then you had eight runs beyond that. That's inexcusable. You're the number one rushing team. It was never more than a 10-point game. I just didn't understand that. Why it's almost like teams go in to play Patrick Mahomes and they're like, oh boy, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Andy Reid. We better just change things up. We got to be extra, extra, super extra. And then they get out of their identity. And it just seemed to me that's that's what happened to Baltimore. That and the fact that when the Ravens get down, they're not equipped to come back. The stat now is the Ravens are 0-23 when trailing by 10-plus at halftime since 2013. And that obviously predates Lamar Jackson. They're just, once they get down, look out. Big stage. Maybe going back to the Lions, their first opportunity in a title game. Not the first opportunity for the Ravens, but it was for Lamar Jackson. And sometimes, to Paul's point, Kyle, maybe you... You operate a little bit differently. You think it's just another game, but the stage is so much larger. So many more people are watching. And for many, you win that game. Yeah, your season is made. Yeah, you get to go to the Super Bowl. But sometimes winning that game sets you up further. And a loss in that game might be more crushing than a Super Bowl loss. No, you're right. And playoff experience, experience in big games matters. And at this point, you can pencil in the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game every single year because that's that's just the way it's worked out. Um, and they showed, and to Paulie's point again, uh, Baltimore made a lot of uh, mistakes and they were self-inflicted wounds and, and stupid, stupid, stupid mistakes that you cannot make in those big type of games. Um, but to me, the MVP of the game, look, Patrick Mahomes had a good game, um, you know, 30 of 39, 241, one touchdown, uh, put the ball where it needed to go, managed really well, made a great play at the end of the game to seal the game to uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But, um, you know, to me, the key was uh, Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, for him, look, they loaded the box. They, they took away whatever run looks that Baltimore wanted to get. Um, in the regular season, Lamar Jackson led the NFL in completion percentage and intermediate passes from 10 to 20. He completed one of those balls in this game. They took away those intermediate passes that he is so good at, forced him to hold the ball. 13 dropbacks, he held the ball more than four seconds, which is an eternity in this league when you can force a quarterback to hold the ball for four seconds. So, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate because, look, Lamar Jackson is uh, – one of the best. I mean, he's going to be the MVP this year. He's one of the best quarterbacks um, in recent history. But for whatever reason, he, he continues to falter in, in big games and in the playoffs. And, and it's, not, it's no longer a small sample size. In, in six career playoff games, he's got a 57% completion percentage, six touchdowns and six interceptions, and a whopping 24 sacks in those six games. So, wow. um, you know, it, it's, they've got to figure out, and he's got to figure out a way to carry over that regular season success when he looks like the best player in the league, when he looks unstoppable at times into these huge playoff games. Well, and to your point about Spags, they blitzed 20 times at Kansas City defense. They had four sacks. Too often Baltimore looked unequipped to really handle those blitz schemes and the trail blitzers that they sent. And Lamar looked confused, or at least he hesitated. What the kids call buffering back there. Where do I go with the ball? Am I Should I take off? Should I not? But in terms of an MVP, and it really pains me to say this, Travis Kelsey with 11 catches on 11 targets, including a touchdown. He had a lot of really good blocks. He played with an edge. He played with an attitude. And uh, for him to make Kyle Hamilton the all-pro safety, 
look stupid. I mean, honestly, how many times was I yelling at my screen, cover Travis Kelsey, devote two guys to him? I mean, just take away Kelsey and force all those pedestrian receivers by Kansas City to beat you. And yet teams can't do it. I just don't understand. I'd love to see what the Niners do as they try and defend Kansas City in this Super Bowl. What can they do, if anything, to stop Travis Kelsey? Kelsey now has the record for postseason receptions, a record held by Jerry Rice, arguably the number one wide receiver pass catcher the game has ever seen. And now Kelsey has that mark. Patrick Mahomes, again, all he does is win in the postseason, 14-3. and So, yeah, maybe the Chiefs are underdogs, but it is hard to count them out because at least this season, Kyle, it seemed as much as people were writing them off because they lost lost week one at home to the Lions, they didn't look good. Well, when games mattered the most late in the season, it's almost like they flipped the script or they flipped the switch, I should say, and all of a sudden, Travis Kelsey, he was thought to be done. He's playing some of his best ball late in the season and here in the playoffs. Yeah, and and you know, two takeaways for that is the the Chiefs throughout the season found a way to reinvent themselves. They overcame mistakes, they overcame weaknesses, found out what works best for them on offense, sometimes leaning on, you know, Isaiah Pacheco and their run game, leaning on their defense, you know, not things that the the Kansas City Chiefs hadn't necessarily done in the past. And then to your second point, you know, you always want to be playing your best football late in the season, you know, uh, in December, early January. Um, and that's what they did. They were able to put it together late in the year and build on that momentum into the playoffs. And again, looking at this Arizona Cardinals team, they were playing their best football at the end of the season. And I think that that lesson, their ability to adapt, to get better throughout the course of the season, play their best football late is going to help them down the road. At one point this season, Kansas City had lost five of eight. They ended up negative 11 in turnover differential at the end of the regular season. Only three teams were worse, and yet they played a flawless game in the AFC Championship game, turnover-free, drop-free. They led the NFL in drop passes, zero against the Ravens. Now we've got a rematch of Super Bowl 54, a game that the Chiefs won 31-20 to back four years ago. Much more talk on Super Bowl 58 in the days and weeks to come. Special thanks behind the scenes. Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher, Ali Narini for Paul Calvisi, Kyle Vandenbosch. I'm Craig Riolu. This has been the Cardinals Red Sea Report on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. It is caught by McBride, and it's a touchdown. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.